Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is episode 82 with Artika Tyner. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxas. Today I have with me Artika Tyner, and uh, she's an amazing lady who's been a TEDx talker, an author, and just an all-around leader in the, in the fields of diversity, education, and she's an advocate for justice. I'm glad to have her on the show because definitely we're going to learn about different ways to use your difference to make a difference, and she has a unique perspective in giving the youth a passport to uh, social change. So welcome to the show, Dr. Artika. Thank you for the warm welcome. <laughs> Pleasure's all mine. So, I don't think I did your introduction justice, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've done, and what led you down this path? I think one of the best ways to describe me is related to my passion for education. Now, I believe in the words of Malcolm X that education is a passport to the future. So, as a first-generation college student, I was compelled to pursue an opportunity to go to college to have education to serve and lead in my community. So also with that commitment was to become an educator. So initially I thought my path would be in K through 12 education, but soon found my passion was related to higher ed and the opportunity to work with college students and graduate students to find their passion and equip them with the tools to make a difference. So no matter if they're law students, engineering students, business students, how can they use their tools to make an impact related to the issues that they're passionate about? So I am committed to training the next generation of leaders and change agents who will say not that, oh, we have all these social issues to address, but truly when we see a problem to look for practical ways to create a solution. Hmm. Love it. And you know, what we always say at UID is uh, we want to help develop the next set of global leaders. And one of the ways that we want to do that is to encourage people to communicate across cultures and think outside the box but it sounds like you've got this the social justice project um 
and your goal is to challenge 10,000 leaders worldwide to make an impact in your society. Why do you think it starts at such a grassroots level? Because I think for far too long we've looked at leadership as something abstract, that it's by a title, a position, or if it's simply about power. But for me, I'm looking for those everyday heroes that are willing to pull up their sleeves, whether it's changing their child's school, uh, making sure we have access to quality food in communities where there's food deserts, addressing the criminal justice system. So I'm looking for those everyday heroes that say, why should we wait for leadership when in fact the leader is oftentimes within us? We oftentimes have this sleeping giant, this idea that we're passionate about. We all know that there's something that we want to make a difference about. But oftentimes we don't feel that we have the appropriate tools to make an impact. So I'm looking at the type of grassroots leadership that's changed the world, whether it's the work of Nelson Mandela or Gandhi or even who we refer to as our um, community activist in chief, looking at the legacy of President Obama's work as well. Real change starts with a vision, a shared vision, and collective engagement. And that's happening in local communities all across the world. Okay. Okay. Now, and um, I I read your your article on Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela is my biggest uh, biggest historical role model. Um, you know, R.I.P. And a lot of the things I learned from him was <clears throat> his is just in just that justice mind that he had, the ability to shift leadership, especially when before uh, he went to prison and how he came out after prison. The ability to shift and understand what the people wanted. And um, the ability to connect with the with the grassroots, and I was always curious whether it translated uh, abroad. But it sounds like it did with you, because I was reading your Huffington Post, and you were drawing some um, some amazing nuggets there of wisdom there. So, appreciate you writing that. Oh, thank you. It was an honor and privilege to be able to talk about such a rich leadership legacy that really focuses on the fact that unless you bring the people together. How can you create change? Because yeah. you, then you miss an opportunity to empower others to lead. So that, that goes back to my challenge for these 10,000 everyday heroes to take a stand. Yeah. Now speaking of bringing people together, what, what, do you, what role do you feel diversity plays in this and inclusion? Diversity, diversity and inclusion play a key role. I mean, diversity is simply starting with the step of asking who's impacted related to an issue. Um, so, for instance, if you take criminal justice, that's where I do a, a lot of my work, oftentimes we don't think about diversity in looking at practical solutions to reforming and ending mass incarceration. But how can we ignore it when the data is staring us right in the face? When you have a black boy um, having a one in three chance or a Latino boy of entering into this cradle to the prison pipeline, we need diverse perspectives at the table to problem solve. And the inclusion piece is saying not just to bring them to the table, but to hear their voices and have an opportunity to get to the equity piece of bringing everyone to the table to be able to create practical and durable solutions that are community and culturally centric. Okay. Okay. No, 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 and and I, I think it's also one of the other things is that we are constantly in a more diverse world, and it, it you know it just makes a lot of sense. This is why I love doing what I'm doing with media to actually have a voice for the people. And a lot of times, one of the things I get frustrated with is that there's no, not that I wouldn't say there's no voice, but you know, there are very few voices that actually represent the society um, the way it should be. And a lot of times, there are, people might not have like role models to look at based on you know their 
the, whether gender, sex, religion, whatever, because the the way the media is positioned, it's almost one centric and unilateral in in its uh, portrayal of of people as a whole and what a leader should look like. Would you agree with that or disagree? I would agree. I mean, if we look at the simple sense of who's framing the narrative related to leadership theory and what leadership looks like, do we have enough diversity there? Are we including, for instance, are we including enough women leaders to find out how they lead? What are their leadership styles? Are we bringing enough uh, racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity to the table? So that's one of the challenges that also has been near and dear to my heart related to the books that I've written to say that we're not just looking at leadership as a few good men anymore. And typically what you see in that narrative is someone like President Lincoln or maybe um, President Washington. But are there other voices and are there different ways to lead that respond to a specific need in a community? So one of my goals has been, my passion, I know you said yours is related to this media media piece, and my passion has been related to literature. Everything from children's literature, reflecting the diversity of the world around us, and the same is true for the place that I can have you know, the most impact, and the leadership literature to also reflect the diversity and different types of ideals related to leadership. No, I, no, I absolutely love it. Well, what are ways that people can can encourage can uh, encourage just representation in media, literature, and just um, arts in general? I think one of the initial ways is to identify it as a challenge and as a problem. I mean, to be able to go into the bookstore and not see a clear reflection of the representation of the world around us. So in that way, I think identifying it as an issue and then also offering a counter-narrative. So for instance, in the leadership work that I do, the other thing that I um, started to write on and created a column of women leading change, I wanted to start hearing the voices of female attorneys who are making an impact related to social change and social justice. So I think a big piece of it, and one of the movements that I truly love that's unfolded is because of them we can, in creating a counter narrative related to the rich cultural history of African Americans. So I think first is, on a personal level, getting um, entrenched and looking in depth of related to what it is that makes us unique. So for me, it's been over a decade of experience of embracing african-american history and culture and then from there letting it influence my other work as a civil rights attorney as an author and, and also as a leadership uh, scholar and teacher and trainer as well so also becoming educated about the need for diversity and inclusion okay okay and so basically and i agree with you in this having the conversation a lot of times i people always say this you know you you, you don't have a pro you can't um tackle a problem unless you admit it right and a lot of times i don't think the discussions are being have are being had rather and a lot of people don't even think it's a problem um enough to bring it up in a conversation so it's it's often swept under the rug or it's seen as something that maybe i don't know what the narrative is is um it's the race card or you know too feminist or you know you're too young type of thing like this is not a discussion you're just overreacting type of thing and because of that um already barrier that's there it seems like a lot of people don't like to put it up in the um you know the general media where people consume but i think what we've seen over recent years is the power of social media mm -hmm. that social media can offer that alternative platform 
to be able to have these discussions that maybe mainstream media is not having and moving mainstream media into the direction of beginning some of these conversations. So, so yeah, social media is given the power to the everyday you know, get man and woman, uh, and even podcasting, for example, where anyone can you know start a podcast from their you know from the basement um, or room as I as I usually do, and they can you know share or highlight different perspectives that people might not be used to listening to or even watching. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. With your books, I, I know you have two books: the lawyer as leader and leader's journey. Can you talk about the, the two of the books and what what you were thinking when you were going through the process of writing both? Yes, I'll start with The Lawyer as Leader, my first book. That book really was a reflection of my own experience of trying to figure out how to do civil rights work in the new contemporary 21st century. So when I think about that specifically, I know for myself personally, I used to make excuses. I would say, well, everything that needs to be done related to civil rights, Dr. King or Malcolm X or someone else completed the work. And then I was reading this article one day from Marion Wright Edelman, and she gave a sense of, she's the founder of the Children's Defense Fund, this idea that maybe the leadership related to creating change, maybe the leadership related to making an impact in relation to civil rights today, maybe it starts with you and I. And then all of a sudden it went from this large, massive issue that I was honestly a little too fearful to address. I'm like, <laughs> how do I deal with the educational disparities I saw in the classroom? How do I deal with, you know, the need for economic development? I mean, my mind was spinning. But the reality was very simple to me. Start where you are. So I traveled across the United States to see and meet four pioneering civil rights attorneys. I wanted to know what were they doing. So my questions were two. First, I wanted to identify what leadership skills were they using, and then secondly, I wanted to know about strategy, because as a civil rights attorney, I wanted to know how I could do my job better and have a greater impact. So the second question was, how do they build and sustain social change? So I had the opportunity, uh, first meeting with Agar Khan, who founded Time Bank USA, which is basically a social economy of exchange with a simple notion that we all have value and we all have time. So can we exchange time to be able to build stronger communities? So it's been used everywhere from in prisons in Europe to helping to address in some countries like Spain, uh, when they had an economic downturn, a lot of the young people were using Time Bank to exchange services as well. I mean, from everything, I'm a member of a local Time Bank of if you needed plumbing services to if you needed tutoring services, that we can exchange gifts and talents with each other. And also what stood out to me related to Dr. Khan's work was that he was committed to bringing social justice education to legal education. So I wanted to know more about how he was merging the two. How was he making sure, and in in this sense, living out those words of Charles Hamilton Houston, that a lawyer is either a social engineer or a parasite on society? He was ensuring that his students were falling into that latter category. So I wanted to know how he was raising the consciousness of the next generations of leaders. So I followed him and had an opportunity to learn more about his work. But truly what I saw about his work is that he was really just facilitating a process and not looking at himself as the only leader in the room, but truly just someone to share in a process as a part of a community. So really for him, the biggest lesson was how do you bring people together? Yeah. 
No. And um, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say to your point, people, some of the greatest leaders have been law, their law in their background. Um, Nelson Mandela, a lot of the U.S. presidents. So it makes sense where they, you know, using that as a foundation. Yes, I think that's the most important piece because your leadership legacy must live beyond you. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is to realize that leadership is a participatory process that you bring people together to discover their own leadership capacity and to make an impact collectively. So that was one of the lessons that I learned right away from Dr. Khan uh, through our interviews and through the opportunities that I had to travel with him as well. Love it, love it. And one of the quotes that, that I love from the book, and it's, you know, it's extracted from the book, is a leader is a planner, a planner of ideas, seeds of change, and a vision for justice. And that, that was written, that was said by your very self. So, but um, I think that it fully encapsulates everything you were saying. It's, it's that you're that building seeds of change in people and, and gathering people together uh, for a common goal, um, you know, so... I can see I can see what what you meant by lawyer as a leader, and then you follow that up with the the leader's journey. What was the process behind that? The leader's journey made me realize that I was missing a, a link. Okay, for those people that I just had inspired related to planting these seeds and building a vision, a lot of them started to ask, "How? Where do I begin?" So the leader's journey is really the answer to that. That truly, it starts with discovering the leader within, your authentic self. So identifying your values, your vision, and what you hope to impact. And then the book concludes with some of the strategies for bringing forth that type of change. So it starts with why lead? Why is it important? That's that passion for social justice piece, leaving the world a better place than how you found it. And then it looks at what qualities do you need to serve as a leader? Because oftentimes we had a, a notion and misconception that there was only one way to leadership, that you were born. And you were born with certain characteristics. But once again, going to your earlier questions related to diversity and inclusion, that leaves a lot of people out of that narrative. So in order to create a more inclusive notion of leadership, it's recognized. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. ...that we each have certain qualities that would lend, them, lend themselves to leadership if we're willing to cultivate them. And then it concludes with basically just a call to action. What will you do? How will you make an impact? And how will you leave a legacy? Awesome, awesome. Do you have um, any favorite stories of young people who are actually uh, taking what you've said and uh, putting it into action? 
Of course, I have countless examples from my, my students. Because <laughs> my students are really my uh, motivation or the wind beneath my knees or right. wings. Right. So when I think about my students, I can give you countless examples. Well, how about one or two? Because um, what I want to do before I go to the next question is, is talk about action, actionable steps that we can do that with uh, today's social media landscape. Okay, I'll give you two. Um, the first one would be related to the campaign for prison phone justice my students were very active in raising awareness about the high cost of prison phone calls and not for the actual cost of what the phone call you know the operations and so forth but the hidden layer of having commissions or kickbacks added to the call cost and then families being responsible to pay sometimes upwards more than a dollar per minute to stay in contact with their incarcerated loved ones So my students became champions for those families in the sense that they were writing articles, they were writing comments to the FCC, they were advocating for change locally here in Minnesota. So I give that as an example that my students all of a sudden saw that their law degree meant something more than just a piece of paper. That truly it was about leveraging those analytical skills, those research skills to make an impact on the real lives of everyday people. And the second example that I'll just give you quickly is a sense of their work in advocacy um, for the racial jobs gap and looking at the challenges of Minnesota having uh, a very large unemployment disparity between blacks and whites uh, here, despite having overall pretty low unemployment rates statewide. It was really looking at what are some of those contributing factors that serve as active barriers for people having access to jobs. And one, of course, was related to criminal background checks and challenging whether or not we should ban the box, meaning do we need to ask that question before you even had an interview of whether or not you had a criminal or arrest record. So with our advocacy, we were able to help further change um, to ensure that people at least had an opportunity to have an initial interview despite their criminal past or background. Love it, love it, love it, love it. The next question was with hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag Occupy Wall Street. What do you think of those movements? And in your opinion, how can people use social media to better raise more awareness about uh, inclusion and diversity topics? I think overall those types of movements help to bring people together. They help to elevate issues, so raise awareness. And they also give an opportunity to bring forth a way for people to to really do that piece that building a shared vision, a shared vision of a more just world, a shared vision of a place where you have strong communities, safe communities, strong families. So I think it's really, if we look at it from a leadership perspective, how are people connecting related to shared values? Okay. So basically what you're saying with, with, Campaigns like that, it, it's very important to to understand that or to articulate that there's a clear goal, and that you know you're trying to drive awareness about a certain issue, and that way you know you can really foster and encourage, improve that education on on whatever issue you're trying to raise awareness about. Yes, that's a simple notion of without a vision, the people perish. <laughs> so you need to have more than just the awareness. You also need a sense of where where are we headed. I don't know. And the reason I was asking that is because a lot of there's been a lot of conversation about people saying, "Okay, so we have this hashtag, we've done it. What next?" And that's what I'm always, uh, you know, it's what I'm curious about when I have, you know, people like yourself who are very, very well entrenched in this and, um, and, and you know, the justice movement. 
is now that you've had the the awareness, you've raised a bunch of a bunch of people are putting the hashtag next to the tweets. What can they do next, or whoever leads this um, you know movement? What can the, they do next to encourage um, people going beyond just tweeting about it? Mm-hmm. I think it's going to take a multifaceted approach. Um, the tweeting piece and uh, Facebook, those are ways, as I discussed before, of kind of raising awareness. But the what's next is going to take a, a coalition of support. I talk, talk about that in, in my first book, The Lawyer is Leader, because oftentimes we say, well, uh, is the issue done after we get some lawyers and they start to litigate issues? I mean, if we look at a simple example like the um, most popular example of Brown versus Board of Education, was it done with just getting the lawyers involved? That was shaping you know, the court of public opinion to a certain extent, but there was still more work to do related to implementation. There was still more work to do related to policing. So I give this as an example to show that you need a strategic coalition to deal with a multifaceted challenge. So that means bringing people together from all different professions and trying to figure out in all different lifestyles, walks of life, we need everyone from the millennials to the seasoned civil rights veterans to have boots on the ground to address the issues like Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter because we need to look at each component. So with that being said, I think it's thinking about what piece of the puzzle do we each pick up. Okay. No, love it. Love it. And and I particularly like that last point because I think it's I think it's very uh I don't think it's a, it's ever one way. There's never one way to to solve that or to actually help, but uh, I think it has to be a combination of momentum and like you said multifaceted different uh, approach to to keeping the conversation alive. Um, you know, action without words is you know, it's it's one of those things that that don't that doesn't work and falls flat. So it has to be something that's very intentional and um something that that continues to push through despite what may seem as adversity or a uh, stalemate. So um, I love what you're saying over there. So if I were to ask you your biggest, your top three motivational people in the world, that appear, the top three people that have inspired you to do what you do, what would you say? Dead or alive? Dead or alive. Okay. You gave me a little flexibility there. Yeah. No, I mean... <laughs> For me, one of them is dead, so I have to give that to you, I mean. <laughs> No, I, well, I would say, oh, it's tough, my top three. But I have to start with uh, my grandmother, because my grandmother was the first person that I saw living out leadership in the way that I see it. That she didn't need a title. She didn't need a position. She didn't have to wait for someone to ask her to do something. My grandmother's faith activated her into leadership enlisted her as a foot soldier to make change and when i talk about change both i mean she did things in breaking barriers during jim crow but more importantly i think the change that she was able to model servant leadership at its best so there are often times where i'm like uh grandma i don't think it, it worked quite like that of, you know instead of just saying let me help the homeless person on the street my grandmother had something like a boarding house and brought people into our house to live with us so, I mean, really living out her faith and her values related to service and love and justice and peace, I think that came from my, my, my grandmother. 
Hmm. Okay. And then I'm saying that next in line, oh, I, Marion Wright Edelman has been a real inspiration for my work. Um, Mrs. Edelman's work in founding the Children's Defense Fund has just elevated and changed the narrative completely about putting children first, that America's future will rely upon the investment that we place into the lives of children through education and health care so they can have healthy starts. And her work in the civil rights movement and supporting the Poor People's Camp pain after Dr. King's assassination has just had quite the ripple effect related to equity and the policies to help the poor and the working poor. And last but not least, I know you can probably anticipate this one, would be Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. I mean, I spent all my free time that I, that I have and, and really studying his speeches from not only the perspective of what the civil rights really mean, what does it look like, but as a person of faith trying to figure out uh, how do you live out your faith? Not something that you just do on, you know, at a, a service or not something that you just talk about. But how do you activate and make your faith come alive as a lifestyle and a way that you lead? So Dr. King is both a faith leader and a civil rights activist Have has inspired my work. Awesome. No, and, and with Marion, the second person you mentioned, it must have been an honor for her to write the forward of your first book. I'm still ecstatic. I, I still can't believe it. Every time I look at the cover, it's it's still a, a great honor. <laughs> no, I, I I love it. I love it. And thank you for going through that because I, I think a lot of times, you know, people always say you are some of the five people you surround yourself around with. But um, it's very evident from your work that you've drawn inspiration from from you know you know these three, and it, it, you know it shines through your work, and you obviously still study what they do because it's amazing. Even with Dr. King, I. I think uh, a lot of times people just think it's, you know, the I have a dream speech. But then you go back and see that he had so much more depth for the short time he stayed on Earth. Um, and it's amazing uh, just because he was able to just uh, enunciate what his vision was very clearly. And some of the stuff he said is, you know, it's come to pass already. So um, I'm always inspired by reading stuff. Okay. Well, almost done here. But there's a, I have a couple... Serious questions and some maybe one fun question. So, this uh, this question came to me earlier today on Twitter, and um, I wanted to ask you. It was um, especially since I was having you on the show. It's um, it was a lady that told me that her daughter was being um, racially profiled by hiring managers, and I'm curious if you have any advice for black millennial or minority millennial. Um, job seekers yes um, I would say the a piece of it's going to be who's in your network and not just how to obtain the job but who's in your network as far as your mentors because oftentimes I think we see um, you know things have changed but there are still some commonalities of things that we see where race bias hasn't been addressed, where implicit bias hasn't been addressed, and, and where certain organizations still have yet to build an inclusive workforce. So the reality is, I think, with having the appropriate mentorship and support to get some assistance in navigating that process on how do you respond? Do you go directly to HR? Is it something that you would go to if there's a pattern of this? Do you go to, for instance, um, your Department of Civil Rights, a state-sponsored or county-sponsored organization? But I think one of the key things, and it's one of the challenges that I even give myself 
and some of my peers is who are we mentoring to help them navigate the path into you know employment but not just obtaining a job but succeeding on your job hmm. so I think that's one key piece as well so yeah mentorship and what if when you get into the you know you get the interview um, yeah and you can tell that the implicit bias is there whether it's oh you're a woman or you're, you're Hispanic you're Asian you're you're black um, and then so that's past the mentorship then you've actually gotten the interview and you know that you mm -hmm. qualify um, but you're like ah. Uh, I felt like I was maybe being judged more than I should have been there. I think that's something that's worthy of a follow-up. That's something worthy of a follow-up with the human uh, resources department of that particular organization. Huh. Or like I said, if there's more uh, broad-scale patterns related to this, something that should go to like your commissioner of human rights. Gotcha. Because gotcha. each group that you identified are protected classes. No, love it, love it. No, I was just checking because mm -hmm. sometimes uh, just these questions come up, and um, and I'm always curious about the answers. And one thing that I definitely agree with you on is, is the mentorship and using your network. Um, I found out for me it was, it was you know just building relationships and growing the network and having certain introductions being made that that made things a little easier. But sometimes you know, like like you said, which is why I'm very passionate about what you're doing and what I'm doing is is in order to help combat implicit bias where people don't might not actually know um that they're you know that they're actually acting on implicit bias it's you know it's by bringing all this into the forefront raising awareness and just saying hey you know this is an act of implicit bias you might not know that you're doing it but this is certainly is saying that asking that question is not something that's okay to ask or you know it's just like just that okay so you have to bring that to the forefront have the conversation as comfortable as it may be and move forward so, just my two cents. I could be wrong, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Good two cents. <laughs> All right. Um, the uh, last question here is: How do you use your difference to make a difference? Well, my difference. I, I identified some of the pieces with you know being a first generation student. So I'm very committed of creating access to education because I think. The more knowledge we have, the more power that we have. I think my difference and one of the things that I posit in my work related to leadership is that for each of us, our leadership makeup is as unique as our DNA. I mean, we bring together our life experiences, we bring together our vision, and we bring together our gifts and talents all into one makeup. So my difference is using the law as a language of power to make an impact in the world around me. Using that to make an impact on the world around you. So, you, first first generation and education is really something that's important to you. I, I can, you know, I can tell with your conversations, watching your TED talk, and you must really feel like it's it's the foundation for shaping the next set of global leaders, right? Yes, and actually, I had the unique opportunity and a blessing to uh, take that to a larger scale in teaching at the World Academy for the Future of Women in China this past summer. So for me, it was just another opportunity to really say that our leadership message and what we're trying to do about making a difference is a message for the world. Love it, love it, love it. Congrats on that. That's a, that's a big deal. So um, kudos to you on that. Where can we find out more about you, Dr. Artika? Uh, on my website, uh, artikatiner.com. Okay. There I have leadership resources, uh, sample chapters from the book, 
a lot of the videos from my speaking engagements, and really that encouragement. Because some people may still be on the sidelines, even after they hear our interview and the inspiration from both you and I. I think truly um, some resources to help people to think about the impact that they can make. Okay, well, I've, well, I'll put that in the show notes, and um, you know, I, I think this is this conversation definitely needs to be had. But I think it's um, it's one of the the best uh, and most open interviews I've had because uh, I think you were really forthright in, in information as to what our society needs to do in order to make a difference and and you weren't pc about it so i certainly appreciate you uh sharing your opinion and you being uh, as honest as you've been so thank you for coming on the show thank you for the opportunity to share and to learn from you as well hey my pleasure You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.